The following is an audio sermon from Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. For more free audio content, search Sacred City Church in your iTunes store. Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to us, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, I thank you for the work you're doing in us and through us here in the Quad Cities. Um, Something you've predestined before the world, before you created the world, that we'd be here. That we're not born in the 12th century or the 8th century or the 1st century, Father, but we're born now in this context, in our city. You've placed us here through your power, through your authority, through your sovereignty, that you created us with a purpose and put us right where we are. And we thank you um, for how you've ordered every, all of our footsteps, that you know everything that's coming and that everything that has been. Father, we ask that you would think through our minds tonight, allow us to hear your word, to understand your word, to be captured and captivated by your word. And I pray that uh, you would allow me to think your thoughts, think high thoughts, um, tonight that I would preach your word and not my own opinion and not my own ideas and concepts. Um, But Father, you would speak through me tonight. Pray that it would be all of you and none of me. Pray that you would be glorified, that you would draw people to yourself, and that the unadulterated gospel would be preached um, through this entire service and through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in Ephesians 3, guys. Ephesians 3, verse 1 through 13. You saw that where we're at. Um, my mom just read it, and um, it's unique. It's a unique section of Scripture here. I want, you to, I want to remind us a little bit of the context, okay? Paul's in prison, right? He's writing this letter to a network of churches who are like us, except even more intense. Listen, they're either in the midst of some intense persecution, or they're getting ready to step into it. Do you realize that's where you are tonight? If you are in the will of God... If you are a disciple of Christ, you are either one, you're either going through a time of suffering or you're getting ready to step into a time of suffering or you're just coming out of a time of suffering, okay? You cannot get away from suffering if you are a true disciple of Christ. Our master suffered, we must suffer. We become like him in our suffering, all right? Jesus Christ, one of the craziest scriptures you're gonna read in all of scripture said Jesus Christ was made perfect through his suffering. What? I thought he was perfect. How was he made perfect through his suffering? He was made perfect in his humanity 
through his suffering. He was perfect in his Godhead. He's perfect God, God of God in, in the Trinity, one of three. But he became a perfect human being by going through suffering without blaming God, without pointing the finger, without doubting, without walking in fear, without succumbing to our human tendencies and the human nature of sin. So we are all going through suffering, coming out of suffering, or getting ready to step into suffering. Now I hope that's encouraging for some of us tonight. It's probably not, unless you're coming out of it, right? Or you're in the midst of it, right? But this is important, because Paul's in prison when he's preaching this message here, all right? And I think we got some things to learn from this. And these people are staring on the outside saying, oh crap, is that about to happen to me? And, the, and what is Paul going to say to them, right? So this is where we're at. Um, Paul's in prison for one reason. He's in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, all right? These people are facing persecution for one, re- one reason, for sharing, believing, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to understand this. This is not, they're in debt, and that's suffering. We're not talking about, they made bad financial decisions, okay? We're not talking about, um, they did some stupid, sinful things, and now they're suffering the consequences of those things. They're facing persecution because of the gospel, all right? That's where they're at right now. Paul is writing to encourage these believers how to persevere in their faith when they're going through that, all right? That's what he's doing. The first two chapters, we, we read, like we, we, we've made it through two chapters already. The first chapter, Paul is just going off about God's divine plan, um, basically the story of God, how before the foundation of the world, they were chosen They were predestined for adoption. They were blessed in Christ. They were redeemed from slavery through the blood of Jesus. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of a glorious future inheritance that will be ours in the the new heavens and the new earth. And then chapter 2, he puts some flesh, actually he puts some dead flesh on that theology, right? He says, so let me tell you what that looks like. And he paints a picture, gives them a metaphor of what it looks like, life before Christ, life after Christ. Before Christ, you were dead in your trespasses. Absolute worthless, no life in you, no good thing, dead in your flesh. You could not do a good thing. You could not choose God. You could not have faith in God, but God made you alive in Jesus Christ, all right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul preaches that in chapter two. It was all a gift of grace. It was all, everything we have, the breath we have, the faith we have, the, the, the amount of that we believe the gospel, that's a gift of grace. That we see goodness in Jesus Christ. That we desire to know him. That's been a gift of grace. That's a gift of grace to us. Paul told, told us that to the extent that we believe that and appropriate it in our life, that everything is a gift of grace, that we're going to have peace. And Paul doesn't talk about circumstantial peace, you remember. Paul says very specifically, Jesus Christ is our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. Jesus killed all hostility. We learned classes of people, races of people, socioeconomic upbringing, neighborhoods, color, creed. Jesus eliminated all hostility, killed it on the cross in himself and became, literally became our peace. Much like the disciples in the boat, storm comes up, chill, peace is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. He is himself our peace. So, clue right here, Paul's theology. When you're going through tough times, it is not circumstantial if God loves you or not. Get close to peace himself, which is Jesus Christ. 
The purpose of the storm is to draw, is to push you, to draw you, to bring you near to peace himself. What does suffering do in your life? What does difficulty, what does frustration, what does waiting do in your life? Does it cause you to draw near to the Father, to draw near to Jesus Christ, who is our peace? Or does it push us away from him and say, he's mean, he's cruel, why doesn't he do what I want him to do? Why doesn't he love me? What's suffering doing? What's a tough time doing? What's persecution doing? What's difficulty doing? I think every one of us, in our nature, in our flesh, we're desire, we, de- we're, we desire to believe a false gospel. That when things are going well for me, God loves me. And when things are going bad for me, God's pissed at me. We believe that gospel, and that is a lie. From the pit of hell, that's a lie. Paul is preaching this phenomenal, theologically deep message from a prison cell. We lose that. We've heard it, but we're like, oh yeah, he's superhuman, that's how. No. He believed the gospel. He believed the gospel. Paul told the Ephesians that Jesus is our peace. We do not require peaceful circumstances. Jesus is our peace. I think this right here could be the best missional influence you you could push out on any of your coworkers, any of your family, any of the places you go, that you have peace in the midst of a storm, that you have peace in the midst of of the temptations and trials of your life. That you're not freaking out trying to figure everything out. What's God doing here? And oh my gosh, can I get this figured out? But you can have peace in the midst of the storm. I think it's huge. Our culture doesn't have peace, right? If you don't have peace, you go get medicine. That's what you do. Get on some medicine, and no offense, Doc, but, right? (laughs) Doc cannot give you peace. He can calm your nerves, but he cannot give you peace. Medicine cannot give you peace. This is an inner thing. This is a soul piece. Augustine said that our souls were meant for you, they're built for you, and our souls are restless until they rest in you. That there's a divine soulish rest, a peace that we can have. Oh man, this is just, this, this tastes good to me. This tastes good to me. When I, when I think about this, I'm, that's what I want. Are you... I don't want to be driven by my desires and driven by my wants and I'm never satisfied and it's always got to be better and I always got to have more and I always need, 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 need. I want my soul to rest. I want people to say, how do you just chill like that? How do you just rest? You know, that's one of the reasons God built in the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, and God just chilled when he got done, right? He just, my, my son always says, I, I say, how many days does it take God to build the earth or create everything? He said six days. What did he do on the seventh day? He relaxed and enjoyed the sun. So my son says, I'm like, yeah, I bet he did. I bet he did do that. He relaxed and enjoyed the sun. How often do we enjoy the sun? How often do we enjoy the sun? We were at a church planner's thing on Tuesday, and we were, con- we were talking to one of our, our, church, fl- our church planner buddies, and he, can, he can't get off the treadmill. He can't stop doing. His email's always open. His phone's always on. When he's playing with the kids, he's still got stuff going on. His, he's never at rest. And I got to lovingly say, brother, well, I said, you're a fool. What are you doing? And I said, our job is never over. Our job... If you're, if you're building widgets, you can build a widget and step back and say, oh, I accomplished something today. The life of a pastor, you don't get that. 
right? You have coffee with someone and you realize, like their life is about to explode, right? You're like, dang, I really didn't know that about you before we had coffee. This is like worse, having coffee with you actually, because like, that's like, peep, right? This is a bigger problem. Like, oh my goodness. That's, that's, the, that's what our, every one of us as people who disciple messy people, we're broken people trying to disciple other broken people. We're not the answer. I'm not the answer. If you don't know this yet, rich is not the answer, right? Jesus Christ is the answer. And we're messy people. All we are are brothers pointing people to our heavenly father. We're pointing people to Jesus. We're pointing people to our heavenly father. I can't be the answer. Jesus Christ himself is our peace. And every one of us are tempted to say, I'll go to Rich and get that figured out. I'll go to Justin and get that figured out. I'll go to my missional community leader and get that figured out. It's not. Jesus Christ is our peace. How can we rest in that? So, as we do this, as we believe the gospel, right? It's as we believe the gospel, we submit our life to Jesus Christ. Paul said, we found out two weeks ago, Paul said that we're being built together, being built together as a church, as a temple that the Holy Spirit will dwell in. That the Holy Spirit does dwell in us individually, but he will dwell in, it, he will dwell in us collectively in a different way, a distinct way, as we understand that he is our peace, as we work out how all the dividing walls of hostility has been destroyed. Um, I, I love this because it says, basically says God will dwell in our church to the extent that we stay centered on the gospel. That, that is a corporate work as well, as well as a personal work. Every one of us must daily strive to remember and believe the gospel. As my mentor Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but it's the A to Zs. I mean, that's what, it's the whole thing. And now, so that's, that's what's happened. The first two chapters, catch you up real quick. That's what's happened in the first two chapters. You can go back and listen to any of the podcasts. And I, I, I challenge you, I recommend that you do that. Um, help you process this, get the gospel down in your soul. And now in the third chapter, we're somewhere unique. Paul opens up his heart a little bit. First two chapters, he gave us straight-up theology, rich, deep, gospel-centered theology. It's co- Is it hot in here? I'm hot, so it, it's not. Well, it's hot in here. I'm hot. Um, <clears throat> sorry. But now in the third chapter, Paul's going to do something special. This is very unique. I, I want you to look at this right here. Let's go to chapter... Chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to walk through this tonight. Chapter 3, verse 1. When you're there, say there. For this reason, okay, because of everything I just said, because of the first two chapters, because you've been adopted, because you've been chosen, because you're going through persecution, because of all this stuff that's going on, he's about to pray. You know, when you pray, you're like, all right, guys, let's pray. Or in closing, let's pray. He's wrapping it up. For this reason, he's wrapping it up. But this is what I like. Paul, being led by the Spirit, his mind jumps the tracks. He's getting ready to pray for this reason. And you'll know that because if you look in the second chapter of, uh, the second paragraph of chapter three, when you're at verse 14, he says it again, for this reason, I bow my knees. He's about to pray there, okay? So look, this is what Paul does. Paul says, for this reason, I'm about to pray, and then his mind jumps. Have you ever had that? You sit down to pray, and you're just like, oh, all right, Father, Oh, man. And then your mind jumps. It jumps the track. That's what happens right here. He's getting ready to pray, and then his mind jumps the track. The Spirit wants to do something different. So he, this whole um, 13 verses is a, it, Paul that does this. I'm about to pray for you for this reason. No. And he opens up his heart. 
He's not giving theology. He's not giving doxology. He's not giving him a lesson. He's not giving him good, something really interesting to, to ponder and to think about, philosophy. He's giving, guys, listen to this. He's giving them himself. Paul's giving them himself. What we've been working on in our missional community, sharing our story in light of the story of God, Paul's doing that right here. And this is what he says. <clears throat> well, first off, first off, this is what, he's, this is what I'm thinking. If, if I'm Paul, I'm about to say, okay, I'm going to pray for you for this reason, and then this question pops into my head. What are they struggling with? What do my people need to hear? I can't be there. He's in prison. He's leading a church, and he's in prison, and he can't be there. He can't baptize the new believers. He can't disciple them. He can't walk with them. He can't marry them. He can't counsel them. This is all he's got. He's got this letter. It's all he's got to send to them. And I imagine this is what they're thinking. They're back, Asia Minor, through Ephesus, and they're thinking this. Okay, Paul is on God's A-team, and he's in prison. Hmm. Right? Paul's really awesome. And where, where, where is this faith thing headed? What's my future look like? Should I get married? If, the, if this is ending right now, if we're being persecuted and killed and thrown to the lions, if this is happening right now, if our, if our you know, God's A-team, the one that God came down, or Jesus came down out of heaven, knocked him off the horse and said, you're my A-team, if this guy's now in jail, if this guy's now in prison, what's going to happen to us, right? That's what they're thinking right now. What, oh crap, what's going to happen to us now? If God's, and this is what it would look like, if God's not taking care of his boy, what's he going to do to me? Because I don't prophesy, I don't heal people like Paul did, I can't write stuff that he wrote, he's a genius, what's going to happen to me? So Paul, listen, that's what's going on in his story, do you see that? He got saved. He preached the gospel. He's in prison, suffering. That's what's going on in his story. But he's, this is what this whole section is. Yes, you guys know that. You know that's taking place. You've seen my life. You know my suffering. Let me reinterpret it for you. This is what you need to hear. This is what the gospel does. Let me show you this in light of grace. Let me show you what my story really means. Let me show you what's really going on. This is what we need. Man, if you're going through a tough time, I'll tell you what, you don't need more medicine. You don't even need necessarily someone, I mean, to cry with you. What you need is someone to say, you know what, I think I see God's hand in this. You know what, I think I can reinterpret this in light of the gospel. That's what we need. We need people, someone to look at our suffering and say, you know what, I think I can see God's fingerprints on this. And that's what Paul is about to do. <clears throat> so Paul, right here. In light of the story of God, he allows the gospel to reinterpret his story, and he shares his redeemed story with us today. Let's look at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, look at this, of God's grace that was given to me. I'm a prisoner by grace. I'm a prisoner by grace. And I want you to look. If, if you read through this section right here, five times Paul says this. God's grace that was given to me. 
It was made known to me by revelation. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me. This is, look at how redundant this is. God's grace was given to me. It was made known to me. I was made according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me. The grace was given so that through the, what? Why is he so redundant? Did he pick up a stutter all of a sudden? Given, 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 grace, 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 given, given, handed down, given to me. That's what he's saying. What's he trying to do here? His, remember, his mind jumps the track. He's getting ready to pray for them. His mind jumps the track. And he's saying, I know you're afraid. I know you don't understand how this is going to work out. I know you see that I'm going through intense suffering. But this was given to me. This was given to me. I received this. I didn't earn it. This is by grace. This is for grace. This is through grace. And then he says one of the scariest comments that we've heard. I'm the least of all the apostles. What? Paul is understanding and he's reinterpreting his own story in light of the gospel story. Paul understood that whatever comes into his life is in some way a gift of grace from Jesus, even prison. The emperor Nero might be the one that's locking the the jail cell, might be the one that's ordering him to do it, but there's an authority higher than Nero. There's authority of Jesus Christ who sits high above all things. That Jesus Christ, ultimately, the suffering that's coming into his life is ultimately coming in as a gift of grace. Paul has been so changed by the gospel that he can see God's gracious fingerprints even in his imprisonment. There's a bigger story going on here. Paul sees that all of that, all of that is ha- all that's happening to him is by grace for the purpose of God, and he's ultimately saying, "And I'm okay with that." And I'm okay with that. And then Paul goes on. He boasts, right? He boasts in his weakness. I'm not special. I wasn't chosen because I was good. I was the least of all of you. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's Paul. You're so redundant. It's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. What's the point then? What's the point? Why are you going through what you're going through? Why isn't your marriage perfect? Why isn't your wife perfect? Why isn't your husband perfect? Why can't you get over that sin? Except for Jarek and Jill, they're still perfect. They got another three months or so, I think. I want want you to hear that. Why aren't you, I, I would say it like this, why aren't you who you're supposed to be? You know you're not. You feel it every day. You feel you should be here. You should be. You should be a little better. I shouldn't struggle with that anymore. Why do I do that? It makes me so mad. Hmm? Right? We're there. We get it. Why does Paul get, how does he boast in his weakness like this? How does he say, all right, I'm about to pray for you. Wait, 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 wait. Don't think highly of me. I'm in prison. 
I'm the lowest, I'm the weakest, I'm jacked up. He says this, this isn't about me and my current living conditions. God has a bigger plan. And he said it in verse, chapter 1, verse 10. God is reuniting all things in Christ, new heavens, new earth. Everything's getting wrapped up and reunited. And Paul says it right here. This is why you're going through what you're going through. This is why I'm going through what I'm going through. Paul says it right here, chapter 3, verse 10. This is why. So that, big words. So that, this is why I'm doing this, so that through the church, the, through the what? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now this is crazy, okay? Paul's starting to talk about God's plan. The reason you go through this, the reason you're going through the temptations, the struggles, the trials, the stuff with indwelling sins still at work in our hearts, the reason, so that the church... Okay, so that through the church, this is the, the instrument of God's chains, of God's redemption. He uses the church to preach the gospel to all creation. And I love this. This is so weird. To preach, right? Where, where, is, where is it at? The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's, what, what, what do they have to do with the gospel? Why do they, why do people in heaven need to hear the gospel? Why do angels and demons need to hear the gospel? 1 Peter 1.12 says that the gospel is so mysterious that angels long to look into it. What does that mean? That means this. Paul's reminding us right now. You, do you realize angel, angels have never received the gospel? Angels have never, they don't get it. They've never gotten grace. They sinned, judgment came. No second chance. Done. You sinned, you're a demon done. And Paul's reminding them of the story of God, all the suffering, all the trials, all the stuff that you've been going through, so that through the church, you might preach the gospel. First, and Peter says, angels are looking in at what Christ has done, and they're like, what is that? How could God give them a second chance? How could God come in and die on a cross for them? It's amazing. It's controversial. We should have got the same treatment the angels got. We should not receive a second chance. And the fact that we think we've deserved a second chance is further proof of how wicked we are. Pure, holy angels judged forever. No redemption. Us, sinful, fallen, jacked up creatures, redeemed through our Heavenly Father sending His own Son to die our death. Crazy. Have you ever thought about that? I think if, and then Paul goes on right on. He says, listen, if you get this, if you really get what God's done in the gospel, if you really get how crazy and how backwards this story is, two things are going to happen. <clears throat> We're just going right through it. This was according to the eternal purpose of verse 11, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. That's what happens right there. When you see this, Two things happen. You get boldness. You get bold. What is boldness? Boldness literally means freedom of speech. It means freedom. If you understand what God has done for us in Christ, it frees your speech. 
You're free to share the greatest news that we've ever heard with your, a person sitting across from coffee, a person, your neighbor, a person in the cubicle next to you. It gives us freedom of speech, and the second thing gives us access with confidence. Access with confidence. But when I close my eyes, God has my, I, I have the Father's ear because of what Christ has done for me. I, I, this, this, Paul saying this, your hope is in the gospel. Your hope is in the gospel. Your hope is in the gospel. Your circumstances can't tell you if the Father loves you or not. Your hope is in the gospel. You can have boldness if you go to the gospel. You can have confidence that he's listening to you if you go back to the gospel. All of it goes back to the gospel. And then he wraps it up in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Which is your glory? If you follow Paul's writing through the New Testament, theologians call this Paul's suffering and glory motif. All through the New Testament, you see Paul saying, suffering and then glory comes. Suffering and then glory comes. Suffering and then glory comes. Jesus Christ suffered and died. He was glorified. He's seated next to the Father at the right hand of the Father. That's what happens. It's the same for us. It's the same for us. Listen, this is what we want. We've been told God can do anything. God can't do anything. Okay? Let's just get that on the table right now. God cannot do anything. God cannot do everything. God can't make a square circle. God can't make a rock too big. He can't pick it up. God can't do those things because there's literally nothing to do. Right? It doesn't make sense. He can't do those things. This is what else he can't do. God can't produce something in your life that can only be produced through suffering, he can't produce it in your life any other way. Listen to me. Something that God wants to produce in your heart, in your soul, in your life, that can only be produced through suffering, God can't use any other way to do it. Do you hear me? There is no other way. God can't teach you how to be patient except through getting on your last nerve. It's the only way. It's the only way. God can't do it. Physically impossible. God is you. Now, this is so hard to, to, to preach to someone who's going through it. Someone's going through something they never thought they'd have to go through. This is not theoretical, man. I know how in America it's so hard to preach on suffering because so many of us are so removed from it. We do everything in our human, everything humanly possible to remove ourselves from it. We don't even want to look at those people. Oh my gosh, another African kid on the news changed the channel. I don't even want to look at suffering. I don't want to be reminded. Turn the news off. I don't even be, I want to stay in my own world where nobody does bad things. Nobody gets robbed. Nobody gets sick. Nobody dies. I want to insulate myself from all suffering. We have, that, we have that ability in America. Very few other countries have that ability. And because we do, we insulate ourselves from God, from God's goodness to us. Paul's saying, this is the goodness of God. This is his grace. I'm in prison because God's producing something in me and something in you that can be only produced by me being here. 
God can't build these churches unless I'm in prison. God can't push the gospel out the way he's going to do it unless I'm right here, right now, unless you're facing that right there, right there. It's the only way God can do it. This is how, um, you know, early church fathers, how they received such, I mean, they, sat, they were being lit on fire and they were singing hymns while the flames caught their robes on fire. What? Jesus Christ is their peace. They had something unique and special. Paul's saying God's using this to accomplish his purpose, and there's no other way he could do it. This is his goodness to me. This is his grace. This is how the gospel changes our perception of pain, suffering, trials, waiting, and the everyday life that we live. Now listen, I'm going to try to do the same thing. Okay, I'm going to try to open up a little bit of my heart to you guys. Um, <clears throat> two and a half years ago, I was insulating myself. Two and a half years ago, um, I kept difficult people at bay if I could. Um, I'm, you know, I am more of an introvert. My favorite things to do are read books. Okay, and um, so I would lock myself in my study, and I'm pretty sure in the first five years of our marriage, we probably had one or two people over for dinner, and not. I don't know if, I mean, we had a closed home. It was my sanctuary. It was my safe haven. And I kept, you know, all, all you weird people, I kept you away as much as possible with all your issues, right? Because I don't have any. And I, in, I just, I, I insulated myself away from suffering and pain. I was afraid of it. It's not good. Keep it away. Keep that difficulty away. I want my life as easy as possible, as efficient as possible. My days were scheduled in 15-minute increments. If my phone went off, I didn't answer it unless it was in the scheduled time to answer my phone. All right? I'd, you guys think it's a freak, but man, I could get stuff done. That, that's where I was, okay? That's where I was. And I'm just going to share how God changed my heart. Because um, you guys know, obviously, I'm a little different now. My house is like open. There's like people in my house literally like nearly every night of the week. Um, so I'm a little different than I, than I used to be. So this is how God did it. And I'm going to tell you this. What God's done in my heart, he couldn't have done it any other way. If you hear anything tonight, please hear this. Gosh, please hear this. Stop praying for God to show up and give you a vision of Eden or something, and that's going to change you. It won't. More money won't make you a better giver. It won't. All right? Feeling, I don't know. I don't even know what you're looking for. Feeling super special and loved and whatever won't make you go reach your neighbor. It won't. You've got to go through some junk. You've got to do some hard work. You need some people in your face admonishing you in the gospel, speaking the truth in love. You need to do some difficult things. You need to go through some tough stuff right? Diamonds aren't made by polishing them. Diamonds are made by pressure being applied. That's how they're made. That's how you're made into a Christian, okay? I mean, you're made instantly, right? I'm not, let's not get too the theological there. You're made instantly by what Christ has done, by God's electing, all that kind of stuff. But you're, you're made into the image of the Son by pressure. This is how it was done for me. Couldn't happen any other way. Um, about three years ago or something, God, God said, I want you to plant a church. Um, I was an executive pastor, 
I started out as a youth pastor, and then I became the youth pastor, young adult pastor, and the executive pastor all at the same time. Craziness. Um, youth ministry blew up over 300 teenagers on a weekly basis, twice the size of the regular church. God was doing some big things. I had said I had a lot of mentors that went and chased dreams and left youth ministry, and I said, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to stay where I'm planted. I'm going to stay where I'm planted. And finally, God said, no, you're not. You're going to plant a church. I want you to plant a church. And I said, oh, crap. <clears throat> Uh, went to the pastor, my uncle, and I told him, I said, uh, God's called me to plant a church. I don't know anything about it. I don't know when. I don't know. I know where. The only place I feel called is Davenport. I don't want to split the church, and, um, you know, th that's all I know. And he said, well, that sounds great. Super encouraging. Pumped. Walked away. I said, oh, yeah. This is not the reaction I was getting. Excitement. Awesome. Uh, I don't even know how long it was. Two weeks later, um, fired, Right? Um, completely fired, cut off, youth ministry, my, my baby, something I gave birth to, um, couldn't go back. And felt, and not only that, the staff slandered me, okay? Lied about me. Said, uh, when, I was, when I said, I don't want anybody to come with me, and he said, no, anybody that wants to go with you can go with you. So the people that I was gathering to go with me, I got labeled somehow, nobody will own up to it, but somehow I got labeled as a sheep stealer. I got a recruiter. I'm recruiting all these people. All this stuff's happening. And in my sin, right, I'm like, I'm being sinned against here. In my, in my sin, I, I said, false prophet, fool, cult. I, I labeled, I, I just let my, mouth go, I let my mouth go, and I just got really angry. And the people that around me, I let them go, let them talk, let them get really angry. Because I, I was hurt. I was really, really, really hurt. Like family, ministry, been there for over seven years. And... Um, yanked away from me, right? Most of you know the story. Six days later, we started Sacred City Church, um, suffering glory. It was pretty exciting, encouraging. 150 people are showing up. Go off to an Acts 29, except we, we feel called to be part of the Acts 29 network. Go off to a boot camp and got slayed, man. Just got torn wide, wide open. Um, up until that point, I pretty much got a smack on the butt and said, go preach and go do your thing. And I was pretty good at putting butts in the seats and getting money in the, coming into the church, and that's pretty much the extent of where my heart was at, and that's what happened. And these guys saw, thank God for godly shepherd and godly men, shepherds and men, and they, they saw right through that, and they, they spoke the gospel to my heart. They loved my wife and I, and they said, we think, most of you know, many of you know this, we think you should stop the church right now, and you should, the best thing to do is go be shepherded yourself, and be loved for and cared for and gospeled yourself. We said, there's no way we can do that. Uh, these people are looking to us. We're their pastor. And then we went out to dinner and prayed and said, okay, we have to do this. Right? Um, my wife's seven months pregnant at the time. Let's throw that little detail in there. Uh, I haven't done construction in several years. I don't know where my money's coming from. I only got a month worth of severance from the church. Um, my wife's pregnant. This is, this is bad news, okay? Uh, we, we go out. We, we go out to check out um, Omaha where they asked us to move to be residents. And things are going totally awkward, right? I'm a dumb jock, athlete, fighter, and I'm in this room with all musicians and artists and rich. And <laughs> I, go, I go out to a meeting with Rich, and Rich is like, what are you coming here for? We don't need you. We don't want you. And I'm like, and I'm coming to you for a job. I ain't talking about this. But like, he was, try, he was trying, to not, you know, trying to test my calling to see if I was really called to go there. And it was just like, Everything in us was saying, don't go. Like, nothing was working out. 
Nothing was working out. A job, I didn't find a job. The ch- all the people in the church were different. We walked in, nobody said hi to us. We're like, okay, cool, all right, whatever. But we felt God was calling us to go. We felt God was calling us to go. So we went, all right? At this time, my wife, we got a brand new baby. We just moved with a brand new baby. My son was three at the time and had been the, the coolest kid on the planet, right? I mean, he is still, but he was. Everybody loved him. Everybody knew him. He was it in the church. And he goes to a new church that's full of kids, and he doesn't know anybody. So my big, bubbly, outgoing boy becomes shy, becomes rebellious, becomes, I mean, he literally became a completely different kid. Overnight, I'm confronted with, I suck as a father. Okay, I don't know, what, what did I do? I moved my kid, I'm living in, I had a big nice house, right? Moving into this little two-bedroom apartment, third floor apartment, way out in the boonies of Omaha. I, I don't know nobody, I'm a terrible husband, you know, I'm, I'm, freak, I'm freaking out, I, I can't break, I don't know what I'm doing with my kids. All this stuff's going on in my heart at the, at the time, right? And all I knew was God told us to be there, that's all I knew. And through a work of grace, through the work of the gospel, God did some huge stuff in our life. Through men staring in my face and calling me out and admonishing me and telling, you know, what like we do in our missional community, speaking the gospel to me, the Holy Spirit did, a, did an amazing work, right? Did, but let's, oh, let, let, well, I guess I didn't finish the story. So I, get a, I end up getting a job at Whole Foods uh, like three or four months later because my wife says, we're running out of money you need to go get a job. I'm like, okay, I went and get a job. I got a job at Whole Foods. So I went from being a very successful youth pastor, executive pastor, everything being paid for. I'm flying around the country, going to conferences, doing all this stuff. Um, had a successful con- construction business before that. I went from that to working as a stalker at Whole Foods, okay, with a bunch of uh, strange, hippie-type people. Let's just say that, Okay. <laughs> Very different environment for me. Money's running out. We've got properties here in the Quad Cities. Don't have Money's literally running out, okay? All of our savings went to zero, okay? Rich remembers, I'm sitting at the staff meeting when my wife texts me, we're at zero. Just paid the last mortgage payment, we're at zero. I looked at Rich and, I, and, the, and the other staff, and I said, guys, um, I've got another, I got a rental property at home. We've been paying double mortgage the whole time we're here. Savings gone. We're like six months into the, in the into the residency, and they're like, let's, let's pray. I was like, pray and write a check, please, but let's pray too. Um, so we pr- they pray. Literally, an hour later, we're sitting there still at the same table. An hour later, I get a text message, and it says, we just sold the house. And I'm like, oh. You know, it was suffering glory. We, he, God waited until we were absolutely on zero, and he came through within an hour. He came through. Is it true, Rich? It's freaking true. And then, um, so, and, and, and God's done a huge work in my heart since then. Um, I, I, can't even do, I can't even describe, I, can't, I honestly can't even describe the work that God's done in my heart, but I want you to hear this. Same thing Paul said. My suffering was for your glory. It's for my family, it's for me, it's for God, but it was also for your glory. Why do we do church the way we do it? Because God changed my heart. Why do we have community? Because God changed my heart. Because I was an isolated fool living my life for my selfish desires. I wasn't leading my family well, I wasn't loving my wife well, but I was doing a good job. And God changed my heart through suffering. 
That's why we have missional communities where we get in each other's business. Because, well, number one, I mean, Scripture tells us to do that. That's why we're not blowing out the doors with a tractional thing. And everybody's like, Justin, I just had a youth pa- or a pastor, you know, on me when I was at this thing. Like, what are you doing? You're telling people they can't come. and You're not just doing the big attractional thing. Oh, my gosh, you, you're wasting your gift. And I'm like, no, I'm not wasting my gift. God will bring increase when God wants to bring increase. We're trying to do heart work. We're trying to do stuff that can't happen from the stage. If you've ever had somebody look at you and say, brother, you're being a fool and you're not leading your wife well, you know it's different than if I said it from up here and you're like, yeah, that guy does need that. No, no, no. When you're in a group, somebody's looking you in your eyes and saying, no, you. I know you think you're a freaking stud, but you're not. You're failing. You need help. Admit it. Admit it. Paul, it's all grace. It's all grace. I'm the, listen to Paul's language. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. What do you do when somebody says, you're failing? You're failing. <laughs> That's what we do. I want you to see this. God couldn't done the, he could not have done the work that he's done in my heart. He could not have done that any other way. And it looked bad. Stop your church. Move to Omaha. Get broke. <laughs> right? Get, I mean, let some men go after you in the gospel. Right? Be gone for a year and a half from your family. From your friends, from your family, from everything you've ever known, the only home I've ever had. Move away. I'm going to do something special in you. I'm a prisoner by grace. Paul's saying, I'm in prison, but it's good. God's doing something in me, and it's for your glory. Every single one of us, that's what God's trying to do. Your suffering is meant for his glory and for someone else's glory. Might be for your neighbor. Might be for the person you're in the cubicle next to. I don't know. It can't be done any other way. God, you're mean. You're mean because I'm broke. You're mean because I don't have friends. You're mean because I don't fit in. You're mean because I'm hurting in my body. You're mean. God's like, I'm I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to love you. I'm breaking stuff off of you. I'm shaping you. I'm Applying the pressure to make you into a disciple. Rejoice. He disciplines those he loves. That's what he does. He's a father. Thank God he's not a negligent father that lets us turn into little spoiled brats. He's loving us. He's applying pressure. Oh, man. And Paul, before he prays, man, before he prays, he opens himself up and says, let me tell you my story through the gospel. It looks bad. It looks like I'm in prison and I should be complaining and moaning and changing my religion because things aren't working out. But let me reinterpret it for you. I'm suffering for your glory. Suffering for your glory. And I'm going to tell you this. You're going to have an opportunity to do the same for someone else. Or your story, the suffering you've gone through, 
when you say it through the lens of the gospel, it's going to give somebody hope. It's going to give somebody encouragement. They're going to be able to share the gospel with somebody, reinterpret their whole life. Ultimately, Paul's saying, no, it's true. You really are worse than you ever feared. You're simultaneously more loved than you ever hoped. This is what the gospel does. Men, he's free to say, I don't know everything. I think you're being, I think you're not leading your wife well. Well, who are you? You know, stay like, swell up. Or, you know what? You might be right. Let me hear. What do you have to say? Who are you to say? Whoa. This is what the, go- the gospel frees us to be broken, frees us to be jacked up, frees us to say, I don't have all the answers. Simultaneously more loved than I ever hoped. <clears throat> I'm thankful. Listen, it's been for your glory. Some of you have experienced Christ in ways that you never had before. Some of you are experiencing community in ways that you never had before. Some of you are being sent out as missionaries like you never have before. Some of you are experiencing the love of Christ like you never have before. And listen to me, that would not have happened unless I went through the suffering that I went through. Paul's saying, that wouldn't happen unless I'm in prison. Is God sovereign? Yes, but he works that out the only way he could. He knows exactly how he can bring about the result that he needs to bring about. What I've suffered, and this is minimal, right? Like, what I've suffered has been to your glory. But this is how God redeems our stories. This is how we are being made into the likeness of Jesus. And ultimately, guys, I hope you're not thinking like, I hope you're not hearing me say like how great I am because I'm not at all. And it wasn't like I wasn't kicking and screaming during my whole suffering process too. But now, obviously, looking in the rearview mirror, everything looks different. You can actually see the providence of God. You can see the work of God when you look in the rearview mirror. But listen, this is what I want to say. All of our suffering points us towards the one who really suffered. We, in comparison to Christ, we have not suffered. We have never felt the Father turn his back on us. We've never felt that. Obviously, none of us have been crucified. Kind of a given. None of us have felt the weight of the world's sin upon us. None of us have prayed to the Father as blood drips out of his pores. He's so stressed. He's experiencing so much anxiety that his capillaries literally burst and his sweat ducts pour out blood. That's stress. That's anxiety. That is the just that weight of fear of, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Experiencing the wrath of God that through Christ none of us will ever experience because Christ took that wrath. He suffered for us in our place. For our glory. I'm still tempted to think God just passed me over. God just kind of looked at me and said, you're not that bad. You're decent. I can probably fix you. Come on. Tempted to believe that's what happened with my sin. God just erased it. 
I forget. We didn't erase it. Put it on Christ. My sin was placed on Christ. He felt my sin. He felt my anger. He felt my fear. He felt my wrath for people that get in the way of my vision and mind. He felt that. My sin was on him on the cross. Again, there's no other way he could do it. The work he wanted to do in me, there's no other way. He took Christ on the cross, took me in Omaha, took me going through the pain of my past and the stuff that I've been through, took that to get me here. The stuff you're going through now is a work of grace. Father, I thank you. We don't have a book that's just written in la-la land, but we have a letter written from a real man feeling the loss, the pain, the fear of prison, possibly contemplating his death, the end of his time on earth, writing to people, going through intense suffering, doubting the goodness of God, doubting the sovereignty of God, wondering what's going to happen with their life. And we get this letter, and we get this peek into the soul of one of our brothers in the faith, Paul, a man redeemed by the gospel of grace, a man chosen not based on anything good in himself, Father, I pray that the vulnerability that Paul shows us, I pray that we can show that to people in our lives. But I know we, can, we can't just make that happen. We can't just do it. We've got, we've got to have an experience of the gospel. We've got to truly believe that Christ has done it, that we are that bad. The only way we could be saved is Christ on the cross. Father, I pray that we would see that tonight. We would be overwhelmed with gratefulness, the grace we've been shown. You are doing something unique in the Quad Cities. You're doing something special in our life. It's all grace. It's all grace. As we come to the table tonight, and we take the body, let us be reminded of your suffering in our place. Let us be reminded that you walked into suffering, not complaining, not angry, not doubting. You walked into it in obedience, trusting in the goodness of your heavenly Father. And for those of us who are in the midst of suffering, Let us take in this bread, the body of Christ who suffered on our behalf, who suffered more than we are suffering now, who experienced our suffering, who knows it, has felt it. Let's be reminded of that. That you suffer with us, we're not alone. Father, I thank you that the blood washes our sin away. We stand before you cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. 
thank you for what you've done. Pray that we take in life today. Take part in the sacrament that you communicate your love in a special way through us and in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.